Hello again. My name's Andy, and I write children's fiction under the pseudonym A.P. Winter. Today we're going to be talking about conflict, and as always, we're going to start with a simple question. What is conflict, and how do we make use of it? The Coen Brothers movie, Oh Brother Where Art Thou, is full of interesting conflict. There's a moment where three escaped convicts chained together are determining who should be in charge of their journey. I'm voting for yours truly, says one. I'm voting for yours truly too, says another. They both turn to the third man. Well, he says, I'm with you fellas. The first thing we need to do is work out a definition of conflict. I think often people get the wrong idea about what it means, simply because of how readily the term conflict forms the idea of an argument. In this way of thinking, the bigger and louder the arguments, the better the story will be. It's something that comes up again and again in early attempts at fiction, characters engaging in sprawling arguments or being overtly mean to each other. It can be fatiguing to read and to write. This isn't what's being proposed by conflict. Instead, I think it's better to think of it as someone wanting something and having trouble getting it, just like our definition of a story back in the first podcast. It's this we want to emphasize if we want to bring out more conflict. Under this definition, it's also easier to see why conflict can be thematic, as in person versus society, or internal, as in should I or shouldn't I, as well as the easier example of external conflict, the kind between characters, as in I disagree with this person, or this person wants to stop me from doing something. All of these are challenges that our characters are facing in the world of the story, but they're not all arguments. For example, let's stray away from children's fiction for a moment and think of romantic comedy. There will most likely be a lot of will-they-won't-they tension in scenes. Someone wants to express their feelings, but they're having trouble overcoming a lack of confidence, for example. There might be secrets too, someone wanting to tell the truth, but having trouble finding the courage to do so. This is all conflict, but crucially, all the scenes involving these don't have to involve characters yelling at each other, or arguing at all, for us to get a sense of it. We just need to know there's a challenge. I hope that makes sense. Every time we say that scenes need conflict, we're talking about this sense of a challenge, of someone wanting something and having trouble getting it. Let's think of another simple example of a scene that's full of conflict, but doesn't involve an argument. In a job interview, We have a clear sense of what's at stake, someone wanting something, something they need to overcome. 
It's quite easy to write a tense job interview scene by virtue of it containing these clear objectives and clear stakes. Will they or won't they get the job? Now, in stories, especially when we're dealing with feelings, these objectives and stakes won't always be as clear as a job interview, but they will, at almost all times of the story, make their presence felt. While we're on the job interview as a basic template, think about where you would start and end a job interview scene to make it tense. Let's say it's going to be three pages long. What would be an interesting way of approaching it? I would guess that none of you are thinking that the best and most interesting way to show a tense job interview scene would be to begin with the interviewer shaking the protagonist's hand and saying, well done, you've got the job, followed by three pages of small talk. But Hard as it may seem to believe, this is often how new writers approach the revelation of conflict in other types of scenes, stating the highest point of drama first, and thereby dispelling all the tension that goes with it, and then continuing the exchange between the characters, even though there isn't really anything more important to say. Worse yet, as we flail around making characters repeat themselves or overstate points that they've said already, we might feel the need to add an even bigger revelation or twist in order for the scene to feel like it's progressing. This is where melodrama starts to creep in. All of this is because we've started the scene too high in terms of conflict, so the only way to progress is to repeat things or throw in something dramatically over the top. Let's use another example. Our protagonist doesn't get the job. They really needed it. They don't have much money left, and they arrive home to tell their partner. A common mistaken approach to this scene is to have the protagonist walk in. The partner says, what's wrong? The protagonist says, I didn't get the job. Oh my goodness, but you need the job. I know. Without the job, we can't pay the bills, let alone go on holiday. Maybe I can get another job. Now don't get me wrong, as someone who's made a habit of having a lot of jobs and no money, I know that there's nothing trivial about this, but the way it's being presented is boring. We've had the biggest revelation, I didn't get the job, at the top of the scene. And all those statements that come after are just re-emphasizing the point in a weaker manner. Maybe the scene could be rescued, but it's had a very weak start. What if the protagonist goes home and we, the reader, know that they didn't get the job, but their partner doesn't? Instead, their partner is looking at holidays. The implication, the dramatic irony that we know that the partner doesn't, being that this is not a great time to look at holidays. So already we have lots of tension, some irony, but crucially, nothing to dispel it as yet. Did you get the shopping? asks the partner. What? replies the protagonist. I texted you. Sorry. I was thinking we should get away for a weekend. 
and so on. You can see how this will play out. There's a horrible tension at the heart of it. The protagonist will evade for a bit, while a minor conflict escalates over when they should go on holiday. This will build until it has to be resolved one way or another. When we get the big revelation, I didn't get the job. And that's probably a good place to get out of the scene, because the only way to get something more dramatic from there is to resort to melodrama. What I'm describing here is conflict rippling out through scenes. Imagine the Wi-Fi symbol on your phone. We have small ripples getting bigger and bigger until, when we reach the highest point of tension, the scene is resolved. Whether it has a good outcome or a bad one, or no sense of an outcome at all, just these hovering choices we talked about in the previous podcast. Another thing to bear in mind is that the small ripple stage is often where you'll have lots of talking or action without possibly as much focus on one point. But as the conflict escalates, you might find characters speaking less and the focus becoming clearer as the drama and the stakes become more obvious both to the characters and the reader. This is the shape a lot of conflict takes in story scenes. And interestingly, it's the shape that conflict takes over the course of a whole story too. In the early scenes, we want a sense of the challenge of the world of the story. Why is this a difficult place for our character? What in the situation is going to create conflict for them? We want to see some small examples that illustrate this to the reader. Again, using the ripple image, these early scenes have conflict. In fact, they often have a lot of conflict, but it's more likely to be subtle or involve small stakes in comparison to later scenes. Again, this sounds obvious, but it's such a common pitfall for writers working on longer projects. The conflict bounces around from very high to very low stakes without any foundation. As mentioned before, making characters yell at each other all the time isn't necessarily the way to go, especially early on when we don't yet know much about the characters or the point of the story. We're just trying to get a sense of the why questions and the choices characters are making. Another mistake is to make bad thing after bad thing happen in every scene, without any ups and downs, in an effort to emphasise conflict. Conflict doesn't mean bad things happening. It's just the sense of challenge in the world. There should be movement. Each scene should make an effort to progress from a negative mood to a positive, for example, or positive to negative even if the overall progression of the story is for the stakes to be increasing. I'd like to apply this image of the expanding ripple of conflict to show how the stakes, not just for our characters, but for the themes in our stories, develop over the course of a narrative. I'm going to use a specific example to show how this actually takes place in the scene-by-scene, But I'm going to use something fairly obscure and away from children's fiction, so it's unlikely to spoil much for you. And I won't tell you the ultimate ending either. 
so you can picture that for yourself. For context, the story is called The Treasure of the Sierra Madre, and it is about two friends. One of the two friends in the first scene is begging in the street for money, but keeps asking the same person because he clearly doesn't remember any act of kindness. He ends up arguing with the man who is giving him money. Next scene. An elderly man talks about how greed can have a funny effect on people's souls. The two friends argue with him in a friendly way, insisting that riches wouldn't change them. After some debate, the two friends hatch a plan to go and make some money by finding gold. One friend begins to complain a lot about the journey and doing hard work. Okay, I'm going to pause there for a moment. So, so far, in each of these separate scenes, we have low stakes, but we have lots of disagreements. Let's see what the next scenes bring. The two friends overcome hardship to discover a gold mine together. Two friends begin to mistrust each other and hide their gold. One friend becomes more violent and unfriendly, and the other challenges him on it. A stranger approaches the two friends at a remote location, and they mistrust him and discuss the possibility of murdering him to protect their gold. The two friends discuss sending money to the stranger's widow. One of them wants to send money, the other does not. Finally, one friend seriously harms the other out of mistrust and greed. So just to recap, we open with this image of a man begging and then arguing with someone who is trying to be kind to him, and end, in this summary at least, with the same man hurting his best friend out of greed. Those early scenes mostly address the theme which will determine the most dramatic moment of the story, but they do it with an argument that seems to have almost no consequences, and in a friendly disagreement with an elderly man about the nature of selfishness. The stakes of conflict are small. The implication of what it shows will have dire consequences later. That's the kind of conflict we want in those early scenes. And this is how themes, in this case greed, changing people, and conflict, and the stakes for our characters evolve across the course of a long piece of fiction. I would strongly recommend doing this with stories yourself to get a feel for it. It's not simple stuff, but once you can grasp the overall pattern of things, I think it's easier to get a handle on what your writing should be doing at particular stages of your story, beyond these like very simple images of things like the three-act structure. As a final point on this topic, I want to mention how a good grounding in these ideas of conflict isn't trying to present a formula, and can actually give you more freedom to create the kind of inventive story you want. For example, when new writers seek to emulate good inventive dialogue, they often correctly identify that the writers they admire 
have characters talk in witty, quirky, inventive ways. They emphasize the voices of the characters and throw in unexpected exchanges about random topics, perhaps. But in emulating this kind of spontaneity, you writers often find that even though their dialogue is witty and quirky and inventive, it just doesn't feel like there's any point to it. It doesn't have the magic of the writing they admire. All the elements of an interesting, free-flowing conversation are there, but the scene just falls flat. So, what's going on in this instance? It's probably because an expert writer gives themselves room to go off the wall, to be witty, be quirky, be inventive, by making the underlying conflict of the scene clear. There's nothing arbitrary about what's going on for the reader, even when the exchanges of the characters themselves appear to be unconsidered and organic. As with a lot of our writing, it's this balance, this sleight of hand, not being too obvious in the purpose of the scenes, while ensuring every scene has a purpose that determines how interesting our writing becomes. Good writing is about how you balance this interest as much as it is about crafting each sentence. So remember the three things we've talked about, intrigue and these why questions, choices and conflict. If you can work these into your scenes, you'll have a good foundation to create something great. I think that's more than enough for this time. I hope you've enjoyed this mostly argument-free journey through conflict. All aspects of this podcast were created by me. If you like the podcast, please give it a good review wherever you find it and share it with your friends and fellow writers. It makes a big difference. As always, you can reach me via Twitter or my website by searching for AP Winter. Next time, we'll be exploring another puzzling aspect of writing. I hope you'll join me then.